Hello and welcome to the APAC file, the joint bi-weekly podcast of Freedom for Free the Liberty and the Wilson Center focusing on Pakistan in Afghanistan. I'm Mohammed Tahir, Ready for Free the Liberty's media manager and host of the APAC file podcast here in Washington, D.C. I do not see any future for myself. I do not see a future for my small workshop that I worked so hard to set up so that I can support me and many women in my position whose family depends on their income. But today I cannot see into the eyes of those women whom I promised to help. Our dream have vanished. This is what Azada, a former small business owner in Kabul, told Ready for Free the Liberties Afghan service locally known as Radio Azadi. As she was talking her tearful eyes were telling the stories of hundreds and thousands of fellow afghan female public servants teachers students who are also pushed back to their homes with uncertain futures as to what comes next in their public career as we continue assessing the taliban's 100 days in power in this episode we will discuss the taliban's social policy and its implications within this context aside from women's issues we will also try to look into the education sector perhaps human rights speaking of human rights though this week human rights watch also came up with the damning report accusing the taliban of of the targeted killing of former security officers, the timing of which is so crucial as the Taliban continue struggling to gain legitimacy. So th- to discuss all these, I'm joined by Mari Akrami, women's rights defender who has recently evacuated Afghanistan, Ali Latifi, Al Jazeera's online correspondent for Afghanistan, Malali Bashir, senior correspondent with the Afghan Service of Radio Free the Liberty, locally known as Radio Azadi, and Michael Kugelman, Asia Program Deputy Director and Senior Associate for for South Asia at the Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you, colleagues, for being with us today. So let's do this. First, uh, we try to map out some uh, highlights with regards to women's issue, then talk about ground realities on the educational opportunities of females, and, of course, the situation of human rights beyond the recent Human Rights Watch report. To start with the Human Rights Watch report, though, which talks about the, the targeted killing of former soldiers, it's so important given the fact that the Taliban say they have announced amnesty. It doesn't look like their amnesty applies to everyone equally. So tell us uh, about the details of Human Rights Watch report. Perhaps we can start with you, Ali. So what does the report say? Uh, The report basically tracks these target killings across several provinces. It indicates dozens of cases of this happening across, you know, different parts of the country. It highlights something that I've reported on. For instance, I've talked to former security officials in the city of Mazar and uh, in the city of Kandahar who feel the same way, who feel that, you know, even when in the initial days after the Taliban takeovers of their provinces, they went to the Taliban and essentially handed over their weapons and handed over their vehicles and anything else that may have had tied them to the former security forces, they were not granted that amnesty that they were promised. Hmm. You know, many have had to leave their homes in the cities and go back to being farmers and in hiding in the villages and in the districts. And I think it's really tragic because they're coming from a place where the former republic didn't support them very much, you know. 
they had gone for months without pay, you know, mm. they didn't have ammunition, they didn't have supplies, they were sent to dangerous areas, you know, for extended periods of time without any real support, right up until the end, uh, when the Taliban finally took over the whole country on August 15th, and then now, as sort of a reward for that service that they were ignored by the Republic for, they are now being targeted by the very people that, you know, the Republic sent them out to target and kill, to, to say that these are the people you are fighting. And even though these people made great statements, you know, only two days after they took over Zabiullah Mujahid, you know, he went in Pashto, he went in Dari, and he went in English and said, you know, we're granting a general amnesty right. and everyone is safe. And yet that Human Rights Watch and Al Jazeera and many other outlets have proven that that's not true. And yet, you know, the, the former commander-in-chief of the country and the former minister of defense and the former minister of interior and the head of intelligence, they all ran away. They're all safe somewhere outside the country, right. whereas the people, you know, who really fought for it, despite all of the difficulties, are being targeted and uh, continue to have no support. Mm-hmm. Amnesty. That's what the Taliban was saying earlier when they took over the country. Malali, uh, you know, as a journalist, you are also looking into these issues. We've been seeing social media videos indicating the Taliban is chasing those uh, military officers who were part of the previous government. And there have been separatic rumors, talk in town. You know, we have been hearing those kind of reports before. Even Human Rights Watch put that out in its uh, latest report. So about that specific accusations has Taliban said anything about this particular accusation well uh, they are obviously not agreeing to uh, what is happening like what is going on in the reports by these international uh, organizations the right groups they deny any kinds of these reports also the individual reports when we ask them about individual uh, incidents for example people are killed on daily basis in Nangarhar Hmm. Uh, they are killed uh, on daily basis in Kandahar specifically in the southern uh, Afghanistan in Helmand. It's not only people that were police and uh, security forces. Ordinary civilians are being targeted and in some cases in Nangarhar province, people are uh, targeted and uh, labeled as Daesh uh, when their families and their relatives deny any links to Daesh, which is ISIS. And sometimes, you know, when we talk to them and they are only uh, of the believers of Salafi Islam, Hmm. uh, sometimes they are not even Salafi Muslims. Uh, They are ordinary Afghans and uh, the the foot soldiers are not listening to what their leaders have been saying and promising uh, all Afghans. Hmm. And when we approach them, they say, "Okay, we will be investigating this incident. Hmm. So then the investigation never happens and it's an ongoing story forever. Hmm. Certainly it goes beyond these uh, former soldiers, obviously, the way the information is discussed on social media. So, Mr. Akrami, the Taliban, you know, they obviously deny these kind of reporting, but there have been uh, also reports in first-hand accounts talking about the Taliban committing human rights abuses with regards to forceful evacuation of ethnic Hazaras from their villages in central Afghanistan. What's the latest with that story? I think that, uh, as my friends, my colleagues said that um, Malalai and Latif and regards what is going in regards to the Human Rights Watch report. Actually, that when we see like all these reports, all these 
I could say rumors or actual videos or tortures that we could see every day in the social media. And yes, Taliban has tried to deny and Taliban just ignored. But the problem is right now that it's difficult like to, the Taliban are just thinking like that they are running a small village. They are just like thinking like cobbles like Afghanistan or particularly the area around her that is that they are belong to them and they don't know what is going even inside Kabul. Unfortunately, we also have here all these bad news and especially like uh, target killing, especially the tortures, which is very badly that they are torturing, they are beating, that they are abusing people. They also see, but they don't show any reaction. I mean, even their uh, leaders, even Mr. Zerbiolaw, when he talks, I wish that today he could be in the, such a discussions. There is need for such a further discussion to talk with them because just uh, hearing from house or having a report from Human Rights Watch or others, because before, if there was something was happened, at least there was a system, there was group, there was Afghanistan Independent Human Rights Commission, there was different civil society groups to bring pressurized government or to... Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, during the last hundred years that we see that the very, very painful, like when I feel it, that is the, the silence of the international community and no one show any reaction and no one say anything in regards to why they are doing this and besides even they are trying to give recognition to them. I just recently saw like the pressure I could see from the government that they wanted to have their representative at the UN. Uh, with the, such a character they wanted to do and they just deny and deny mm-hmm. and ignore. The question is here that we all see, but unfortunately no one has listened to the people what is going on the ground and what will be next because see that the, the Taliban officially or unofficially or direct or indirect that they could get some recognition from different countries. Look at to Pakistan, look at mm-hmm. to Qatar, look at to Turkey, look at to Germany. What what they really want? They want to support mm-hmm. a small group of whatever, yes so bad that when I see that what is going, why we should suffer like this? Why everyone should be suffer and face all these challenges? Right, right. It's such an important development, uh, I guess, uh, you know, kind of raises question that you are hinting, uh, Mari, about why is this happening at a time when when the Taliban desperately need international help. In none of these actions, in fact, uh, help to advance even Taliban's own cause to get the recognition. So I guess we will get to the analysis part of the conversation in the second half of the, the show. But first here, you know, my earlier question, and anyone uh, is invited to jump in here, in terms of how these things, like these examples of human rights situation, how these things looks like firsthand on the ground, on human to human level. Like uh, earlier, my question was about the forceful evacuation of Hazaras in, in parts of Daikundi. Ali, do you would like to share some of your thoughts as to how it looks like, how it happens. The issue is that it seems as if the Taliban, and again, the Republic was guilty of this as well, but the Taliban especially seem to be running a very ad hoc system where they say one thing, you know, the higher up, for instance, you know, Zabdullah Mujahid will go in the media and he's going to make all these great pronouncements. Everyone has amnesty. The media can continue. Women can continue to work. All of these things. But then as someone on the ground, when you're living in the emirate, 
you see the exact opposite and you're constantly, you know, whether you're in the middle of the city of Kabul or you're in a village in Nuristan, you know, there, there's always this, this level of fear of what could I do that could anger them? Because if you look at, for instance, the instances of abuse and violence against journalists, you know, the cases that I've covered, in one instance, the journalist for Tolo was covering day laborers in the middle of the city at 10 a.m., you know, in a very populated, very well-trafficked area, and he was beaten up just for asking day laborers about the economy. And then, obviously, the most famous case is the torture of the Etilat Rose newspaper yeah. reporters, who they were just there to cover a small, like, very small protest of maybe 10, maybe 15, 20 women. And for that, they were tortured in the way that resembled what the communists used to do in Afghanistan. Mm. And no one has really answered for that. You know, and this has led to a shrinking of the media. Mm-hmm. Or, for instance, around the same time that the Italata Rose reporters were beaten and tortured, you know, a Herati photographer was detained for two or three weeks without any word as to why he was detained, why he was released, what happened to him in detention. I, th- I think Mori referred to this as well that, you know, none of them ever answer for these things. They never. Mm-hmm come out in public and at the very least if look if they want to say we don't like the media and you know we want at least have the integrity to just say that blatantly and honestly mm, right. you know rather than essentially just ignoring it ignoring mm. things that can't be ignored things that are you know there's a lot of social media rumors that you know we have to be very careful about but there are certain things that you know that that's what the advantage of something like the human rights watch report is that it's documented by a credible right. organization it's right. not some social media right. rumor spread by people outside the country and so it needs to be taken really seriously and uh, as as Mori said you know like Zabiullah should be on here right now answering these questions yeah yeah right right okay um, Malalia you're raising your hand and also you had some points to raise before I invited Mari to the conversation. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, I wanted to add to Ali and uh, Marijan's uh, comments. Uh, you asked about how it's going on on the ground from human to human. Like what are people saying? How are they taking all the crisis? I would like to mention uh, probably uh, other colleagues here might agree with me that it's not only about a minority or about um, one group of people in Afghanistan at the moment. People are actually in this together. All the Afghans have been affected on some level. Nangarhar, which we mentioned earlier, that has seen a, a string of attacks on people. And um, there are reports of uh, people being hanged from trees and um, dead bodies on the ground without heads. Things like that, you know, that is pre- predominantly a Pashtun province. Kandahar and Helmand, uh, which the uh, Human Rights Watch um, report also mentions, is these both provinces are predominantly Pashtun. When a Boltak um, incident happened, that was called by the US and UK both as war crimes. That is predominantly Pashtun area. So um, here, people who have disowned the Taliban, who have nothing to do with them, hmm. and who do not want to be identified with the Taliban just because they share their language need to be taken into account and should be talked about how they are suffering, how this whole situation is affecting them. 
I would like to also uh, bring to your attention that uh, 25th of November was the elimination of violence against women. Uh, this is the International Day and um, the United Nations 16 Days campaign started on this day and it will run until um, December 10, which is the Human Rights International Day. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, during this time, the acting prime minister of Taliban, um, Mr. Mullah Akhund, um, he uh, made some comments about women in his first televised audio uh, speech. He said that, you know, uh, previously women were without uh, any honor in Afghanistan and after the Taliban took control of the country. Now, uh, women's honor is preserved. Their security is preserved. Now they have respect and honor as compared to uh, like the previously. So um, he claimed this and then there was no other mention of what he means by yeah. saying that. Like, does he mean that women didn't have any honor before? Like, or they were not Muslim before, and now after the Taliban came into power, now they became Muslim. So yeah. uh, we asked Zabihullah Mujahid, who is the uh, spokesperson for the Taliban, and he actually claimed that previously women who belonged to like the relatives of security forces of Afghanistan, people who died in the war, their re male relatives died, and these women were raped. And he didn't elaborate who raped these women. And he said that international community international organizations have reported on this well we have seen reports um, from some of the international organizations about women being harassed by who were in the security forces like police women and things like that so this is actually a far-fetched claim yeah. saying that you know that thing was happening before and it stopped now mm. and we also talked with women from afghanistan they held actually another protest today and we talked with the protesters. Why are they protesting? When when Mullah Hassan Akhund, he says that, you know, your honor is preserved and you're coming out to the streets and, and you don't want this honor that the Taliban is mm. offering you. And these women, actually, they want their jobs back. Yeah. They want their children to go to schools. They want their girls to be ed educated. Mm. They want health services in the country. They want freedom of choice. And that's what they want. Mm. So but what my point is that, you know, what the Taliban are saying and their leaders are saying is far beyond the reality of the mm. Afghan people who are living inside the country, who are, mm. you know, living that reality. Right. So there is a gap between the, the, the mental level of both these, um, you know, the Taliban and mm. the ordinary people. And also the ground reality. I, Wait, I I'm sorry, I have a question. Yeah. Is she trying to say that women weren't harassed under the republic and the security forces and the government? Because they were, that was Ali, very well documented. You, yeah. I'm not saying that. I didn't claim anything. I'm telling you how these people are twisting the realities. Tahir, do you give me a minute to uh, let you hear a voice from a woman from Kandahar? Can I play the voice? Sure. Please give me a second. <laughs> So this yeah. is the voice of the audio of a woman. Her name is um, Fahima Rahmati. She had an NGO in Kandahar, which is uh, the south of the country. And um, she claims that Taliban entered her house. They broke into her house at night. This audio was shared on 12th of September, uh, which is after Taliban took control of the country. Okay. And 
Taliban never issued another video just like they issued a video of a woman uh, who claimed that she was beaten by the Taliban and sh they were sexually harassing her. They brought uh, a woman uh, on uh, another video and she said that she is the same woman and that she was telling lies and she wanted to go to foreign country and uh, wanted to use this as a, uh, setting a case yeah, abroad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are not sure if this was the same woman. Mm. We are not sure if that was uh, a different woman. Uh, it was never confirmed. Mm. But, you know, the video that the Taliban shared, that was edited video. Mm, right. Thank you. Yeah, again, if the video of a person, Taliban claims to be that person who seems to be very much in pain, is released by the Taliban in the first place as a journalist, we are going to look into this with a certain suspicion that we have seen these examples by the former communist leaders in Central Asia. You know, just to put that in context, I, I hope Ali Malali addressed your question. Just the one point there is Malali brought us to the uh, issues relating to women. That's in fact, that was the something that we wanted to focus our conversation today. So the, the protesters the earlier, Malala, you mentioned, I guess Mari also mentioned about women asking for rights to go back to work and education institutions and others. I guess it seems to be still unresolved situation. Like in a way we hear in some places like schools kind of opening up in some provinces. In some, uh, I heard some schools open in Herat and some other places. In some other places, they, you know, they are not. So kind of a confusing picture. Perhaps we can talk about those stuff a little bit later. But to look into this from the Taliban's perspective, like uh, they are keeping half of the population out of picture in some ways. Thousands, hundreds and thousands of women public servants being sent back just overnight to their homes. I mean, it must hurt the Taliban's own, you know, structure, own governing capability, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Mari, you came from Afghanistan recently. I mean, just talking about the women being pushed out of out of picture, how it has kind of affected the Taliban's governing ability, capability? I think that, uh, unfortunately, again, I will say the same, like, uh, the way that, that they are running a government with such a mentality, like that if someone is, could come to the office or could continue their work or some couldn't, it doesn't matter for them because they just want to show. But unfortunately, in reality, that even I don't see only the women, even the men are not allowed, even the men that they are were in a position that they continue their work in a way like that they could have some income for their families. In general, that we see that the situation for all people is not the way that, that they sh they are thinking. Because they are just thinking like they are running a small, I'm sorry to say again, a small village or a small city. Mari, can you give us some kind of first-hand accounts, examples that you had to... Uh, I know uh, you are talking in the big picture, but it kind of uh, bring this discussion into a local level, like a ground reality level, people to people level. So in your own experience, trying to deal with the Taliban, I mean, how have you seen their decision to force out all female workforce from their offices has affected their governing capability? Any kind of concrete first-hand example that you can share with us? Unfortunately, I left Afghanistan right after the day arrived, Kabul, mm. and I didn't see something, but I, uh, every day I'm dealing with all those cases, all with everyone, that mm. the way that now I see the challenge and the problem that people are 
facing. Because even I see that there is like in a community everywhere, there was a system, there was everything. But unfortunately, the way that, that now they are doing is not something like in a proper way that they could uh, provide any opportunity for anyone. The second thing is that now I see the people are afraid from anyone because suddenly I don't know like how they find all these people, all even even someone at the ground that they have like as usual they wear turban that they wear shower kameez that they also now show they have gun everyone has gun that they show that they are Taliban. There is no control. There is no system at all in any place that we could see. It's really difficult, not only for women, it's really difficult for men as well. But mm. I just wanted to go back uh, what that you said that there were first questions in regarding to evacuation, like uh, Azara people. Um, so far, as Malay was explained and, uh, very well, right now here in Afghanistan, no one has any right. I mean, like as a humans, that everyone has the right to choose to, how to live, how to, to eat, how to, to dress, how to, to go out. But unfortunately, this is not the situation. I had the chance to talk in the Taliban in 2019 when we were in the Doha, and we have the, we have raised this. They said that we have totally have changed, yeah. But unfortunately, today we see that even not they didn't change, but they are become more. I mean, it's not their leaders, but their soldiers. They become more violated. The way that now we see the torture, the violations, and the ground. This is something like this is really, really exhausting. It's really too much. I really when we see on the social media, but look at those people that they are facing. They are feeling it. They are, they are just in daily basis that they are experiencing. How is it hard? How is it difficult? Hmm. The thing is, when we see that again. I, ha- I was attending several meetings like this, but we are just talking. I, I really, I'm with due respect to all, I really got so tired of all talking this. Right. Because we really want to just go to the ground. How it is exhausting, how people are depressing. Yeah. You know, like I, I, every day I receive messages from my colleagues around the country. Tens, twenty hundred messages. Everyone is just talking like, I know it is hard to leave the country, but please do something. Hmm. But look at if we just talk about evacuation what happened to us that right now we are we evacuated we really don't know that the way that i has spent all my life more than 22 25 years that i have worked i don't have that energy that i had 20 years before i now start everything why it all should come on us why we have one should suffer again yeah. and again and again this is that that this is the situation that this is the question that not only me yeah thousands right. of Right, right. Yeah, you know, totally understand the desperation that you are describing, Mari. And also earlier, uh, I mentioned this, the video that I was watching produced by our Afghan service radio, Azadi, of a female entrepreneur named Azada. I mean, we could clearly see the desperation, the tears that are coming out of her eyes of desperation. I mean, the situation like Azada's, I mean, they have to, you know, close down their businesses, beauty parlors, whatever businesses they were running. And not only just that they are forced out of public service, but also their businesses are closed. I mean, how this women being pushed out of the picture, the whole picture, Ali, how it it is affecting like families like Azada's, like the social fabric of the nation? I just wanted to go back to your previous question. So a few women that I spoke to when I was still in the Emirate, they described, you know, how it affects 
affected their daily life. Mm. For instance, you know, when the protests first started, the women's protests in Herat and Kabul, I, I spoke to a few of them in both cities. And among both groups, they said that they tried to meet with the Taliban. In Herat, in certain cases, they were able to meet with some Taliban mm. officials, but not with all. In other instances, you know, they were just turned away. They weren't allowed to even try and approach the officials to ask why, you know, they wouldn't be allowed back into the workplace or why university openings were delayed or why now to this point, you know, all other schools are open, but secondary schools for teenage girls are still not open. I had talked to a young, you know, media worker in Herat and she said, that, you know, she went back to work, but every time the Taliban came into their office, you know, she would get scared and she would hide in the closet just in case if they would get upset by her presence there. I spoke to female journalists who tried to stay, who, hmm. you know, said they tried to make the best of it and tried to continue working. And in the initial days, they, they were fairly welcome. No one really got in their way. You know, one of them said that the Taliban called her Morjana and, you know, was, was very, you know, hospitable. But then all of a sudden, going back to this idea of everything being ad hoc, all of a sudden she was told, why are you outside? Go in. Why, why are you even out on the streets? You know, you shouldn't be out. Mm. Or, for instance, you know, a colleague of mine was saying in the initial days after Ashraf Ghani fled and the emirate came to power, you know, he, because he worked for a media outlet, he was at work pretty much all day. And his wife, you know, she lived in the middle of Kabul. She was afraid to go downstairs to the market to get juice for her daughters because she didn't know if the Talibs outside would object to the way she was dressing. Or, for instance, I spoke to a group of female professionals who, about a month ago, tried to go to these makeshift IDP camps in Kabul and distribute some clothes, uh, some winter clothes to the families. When, when they went there, they, they, they were rushed by the people. And, you know, they said to me, they're like, look, like these Taliban, you know, we're fortunate in that we're able to continue working and we have a little bit of money saved up so we can give some things away to the poor. But, you know, they, they said, look, like these Taliban, they're obsessed with us. You know, they talk about this, the sound our shoes make, about, you know, us wearing perfume, about us wearing makeup and our, and our scarves and so on and so forth, when really they should be addressing the needs of these IDPs, many of whom are women, because, you know, as often happens in the war, you know, it happened with uh, IDPs from Helmand a year ago. It happened, you know, in the last few months with IDPs from the north as, as the Taliban was advancing across the country. It's often the women and children that leave the homes and come to other cities while the men try and stay and protect mm. the home. So, you know, they, they keep saying you want to talk about us, but you're not addressing us and you're not addressing the issues that affect us. And again, it comes back to this idea of everything being so ad hoc. For instance, like, like one young girl, Mazar, she told me, you know, because she had helped lawyers hmm. on cases related to domestic abuse and, and divorce and things like that, that, you know, she said, first of all, anybody could come and attack me, not just the Talibs, but definitely hmm. also hmm. the Talibs. And more importantly, even if, let's say, it was a mafia or a former criminal or someone that came after me, I don't feel safe enough to go to the Taliban to say I need help because I fear that someone who didn't like me or had a grudge against me or didn't like the way I led my life 
would go to the Taliban and say, by the way, do you know that she went mm. to the American University yeah. and do you know that she worked on these kinds of cases? Mm. So, you know, again, it's one of these things like they say, like, women are free to do this and that, but they're not really following up with it in any real way. Right, right. Yeah. When we when we talk about these uh, challenges uh, with the first hand accounts, it puts the discussion on a whole different uh, level. Thank you very much, Ali. And I know we are really running out of time. We supposed to end the conversation by now, but we uh, have a couple of few other points that we have to talk about before we end the conversation. If, if, give me just 10 minutes to, to finish the conversation. Malali, just one more point that I don't like to skip it here. You know, girls and women's education opportunities in the country. Like when I think about this topic, I remember the, the Kabul University reactor's comment that female students to stay home until university is ready to welcome them back. So it, it seems that the challenges, be it like a university level uh, female students or teenage girls going to high school. This challenge by large remains problem right at the moment. Like despite we hear some openings in places like Hirayat or Mazar, but otherwise girls are still away from schools, still away from universities. Is it the situation is? It is actually. Uh, we had uh, our reporter told me a few days ago uh, when the schools, uh, the winter uh, break was not started mm-hmm. in um, northern provinces, uh, that the schools were um, about to start for the girls and mm-hmm. then the break started. So it's like continuously we are talking with the uh, girls from schools and universities who are not um, able to attend schools like um, above grade six. We have also started like it's a series of interviews. We are talking to these girls, the students, what they are feeling and how important it is for them to go to school and continue their education. So they have been telling us that it sounds like a mass psychological depression or stress that this new generation of girls and um, the students of university are suffering from. It's it's almost sounds like a psychological abuse that, if you will, (laughs) that this this, um, generation of girls, uh, the students are going through at the moment because you know that the, the, their life is disrupted their studies have been disrupted and it's not normal anymore for them the uncertainty that this everything has brought into their lives they are not aware of what is going to happen in the future and also research shows that if girls stay away from schools uh, most of them will not return uh, to studies there is a, another looming danger in Afghanistan um, Tahir if you look into mm-hmm. cases of early marriage forced marriage right. and uh, child marriages which is um, increasing not only because of the economic problems but also because of this problem that the girls are out of schools and the parents think that it's better for them to marry to marry them off so that's the kind of problem that these students are also mentioning when we talk to them that they are being forced into marriage because you know the schools are not open and it seems that life is not moving forward for them so another solution is to give them uh, into marriage yeah uh, i would also like to point out if you give me a, ma- a minute that even previously when we we, we looked into these uh, officials from afghanistan they think that women should be grateful for them. They should be grateful to them for the reforms that they bring mm-hmm. into women's lives. This happened in the Republic's time as well. And also now that the Taliban uh, acting prime minister, he was addressing people, talking about women, that women should be grateful for whatever has happened to them. This is actually like, I think this is my personal view. 
that, um, you know, we need to give some credit to these women. Certainly. Whatever they have today in Afghanistan was not only by the international community or by uh, any officials in the country or the higher authorities. It was also the struggle of these women who made a space for them inside the country. And these women are still very much alive. Women are still very much present in Afghanistan. Not all of them have mm. gone outside of the country. They are still raising their voices and they are still protesting. Right, right. Yeah, as you said, the decision to keep girls out of school kind of leading to many, many other problems. I mean, with with some opening, as uh, as we uh, discussed earlier, with some opening in the education sector, it remains anyone's guess as to what the Taliban have in mind for going forward. Also, So they keep avoiding any direct answer uh, as to what the future holds for women in Afghanistan as public service. But but the bigger question is uh, to me, like if we just uh, briefly touch on this, the bigger question for me is this. These, uh, you know, abuses are happening at a time when the Taliban needs international help, needs international recognition. These policies are bad for the Taliban image. You know, there is no country on earth with such laws. It is so devastating image even for the Taliban. So what the Taliban logic is behind all these and what does the logic tell us about what to expect going forward in terms of these issues, the issues that we have been talking about in the first half of the show. So let's continue the conversation talking about these and many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate that today on the APAC File podcast, I'm joined by Mari Akrami, women's rights defender, Ali Latifi, Al Jazeera's online correspondent for Afghanistan, Malali Bashir, senior correspondent with the Afghan Service of Radio Fair Radio Liberty, locally known as Radio Azadi, and uh, Michael Kugelman, Asia Program Deputy Director, uh, senior associate for South Asia at the Wilson Center, our partner in this project. It seems that he can't make it today. Yeah, he's been dealing with some family issues, and we are hoping to uh, that he can make it at least briefly, but let's see, fingers crossed. And anyhow, I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the APAC File podcast and Ready for the Liberties Media Manager here in Washington, D.C. And we are discussing the, the Taliban social policy in the context of their 100 days in office. So now we don't have much time, really. We need to conclude the discussion very soon. So let me get into this. I'm going to avoid a couple of questions here I had about the overall impact of Taliban's policies on, on education, like overall education sector. Uh, let's leave it uh, to another conversation. But the larger question, let's start from here. The larger question is, like, you know, with all these policies that we have seen Taliban trying to apply during the past 100 days, what type of Afghanistan it seems that they envision? Maybe uh, to start with Mari, based on the, the these policies of the past 100 days. So when you think of, you know, what kind of Afghanistan Taliban would like to see? What comes to your mind? What kind of Afghanistan they envision? Uh, one thing that is really... I wanted to say about the ugly reality of Afghanistan that, yes, during the last 40 years that all the world were here and they have played different games. But unfortunately, we Afghans and particularly our leaders also was very, very unkind to the people of Afghanistan and particularly to the women of Afghanistan. By name of women that they have played different games, unfortunately, that the only that we could see the 40 years game that it was only for the two um, matters of chadar and clothes of women, unfortunately. Even women of Afghanistan were not that much lucky to have, to deserve the love and respect at their families, at the societies, and today. Again, 
that we have to, to start. This is the unfortunate, the ugly reality. If they, the, the sideline, the woman, the sideline, the people, I don't see any future for Afghanistan. Unfortunately, the future that what we were thinking, as always, I was dreaming when I was at school, when I was very young, I was dreaming that Afghanistan could be like as a beautiful country with all the nation and particularly the woman. But unfortunately, that is as taken from us. And we women have paid a huge price for all these rubbish and bad games that they have played for us. I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. We are kind of uh, wrapping up the conversation here. Um, well, uh, let's see. Malali, um, yeah, the same question kind of goes to you. Based on what we have seen over the past hundred days of Taliban in power, when I ask this question, what kind of Afghanistan they seem to envision? What comes to your mind? So uh, basically, uh, you earlier um, also asked that why is Taliban not taking most of the things seriously that the international community is um, demanding them uh, in order to recognize them. I think this question is also very much related to the one that you're asking right now is what kind of uh, an Afghanistan the Taliban envision? in the future. Well, it's being said that, um, you know, by many analysts, when we talk to them, uh, that the Taliban are actually holding ordinary Afghans hostage. They think that, you know, the during the peace talks, they had a leverage over the peace talks. They never agreed to the ceasefire because they were using violence as a leverage in the peace talks. So now they are using human rights, women rights, education of girls in the same way a leverage to force the international community to just give up and give in and let them do what they they want. And um, that's not something that is going to work in the long run. And um, I think that uh, also the Taliban are not on the same page, all of them, that their leadership is not on the same page for what they want in Afghanistan and what how they want to run this country. And, um, you know, the um, uh, Afghan women, they are an integral part of this society. They are they are more than half of the population of this country. And so they need to be part of any decision making process that uh, actually is can be said that it's too late when there was no peace talks. Uh, between the Afghan government and the Taliban, even though, uh, as Mari John mentioned, she was one of the women who uh, was also part of some of the talks in Doha. So uh, that needs to be taken into account, and Taliban need to come to realize this reality that women are actually a real, real reality, and they have to uh, accept it. Right, right. Yeah, we have to really, we have to conclude the conversation. But just a final question, maybe, you know, so what comes next after this? I mean, where our eyes should be in terms of the indications? What lies ahead in the next 100 days under the Taliban in Afghanistan? Earlier, you also mentioned, Malali, in some cases, like the airport, Kabul municipality, I guess, the health ministry, there was also one more institution where women were called back. What was that? Oh, yeah, passport office, I guess. So Yes, passport. Uh, yeah. yeah, so so the next 100 days of the Taliban, I mean, where our eyes should be now uh, in terms of the uh, indications where they are taking Afghanistan, what lies ahead in the next 100 days of the Taliban in office? Maybe, uh, Ali, uh, let me bring you in. Uh, with that, I guess we, we might also need to conclude the conversation. I, I, I think for the Taliban, the most important thing going forward will be for them to finally start to make it clear exactly what they want and give 
concrete points, concrete rules, concrete examples of what an Islamic emirate of Afghanistan looks like to them. Because to this point, we still have no idea. You know, they keep saying things like, you know, we want an Islamic education system. The Afghanistan education system has always been Islamic. You know, we want uh, Islamic rule in terms of law and things like that. All of those things have always been part of Afghanistan. So now, since they haven't been able to do it in the previous 100 days, and the next 100 days, they really have to come out and say, this is exactly what we want. This is our vision of Afghanistan going forward. At least that way, then the people will have a baseline and they will know what to, you know, organize around, what to speak out against, what to support. But as of right now, you know, if you talk to people, you know, Ningarhar operates one way, Balkh operates another, Kandar operates another, and Herat operates another. And then, you know, the smaller provinces completely in their own ways. So the Taliban really have to get serious about actually explaining what it is that they want in real, concrete, clear terms, because they can't keep going on like this. You know, it, it's untenable for the people, it's untenable for them, and it's not helping them in any way move any closer towards recognition. Okay, okay, maybe last point, maybe, Mari, uh, earlier you, you brought up something which is very important, you know, to reflect the local feeling in all these discussions. You earlier spoke about the, the desperation that, that, that people are expressing to you when you uh, talk to your former colleagues in Afghanistan as a uh, women rights defender. So what they are holding up, Mari, uh, what they say, how they see their future or what they want to see happening and what they want international community do or can do in this situation? I think one of the main things that the people want if they have like easy access to their job, easy access to their incomes, no one is really, no one is interested to leave the country. But unfortunately, if it is continue, I don't see that anyone, anyone could stay in Afghanistan. But then Taliban cannot, again, that they will not run only Afghanistan by themselves. They will only be just not Emiratis, I mean just a Emirat of terrorism or Talibanism or something like that, that which will not be acceptable to anyone inside the country and as well outside the country. My suggestions could be like that we have to continue like this to pressurize Taliban and they have to, to accept. They have to, to accept Afghanistan in 2021. They shouldn't think about like 1996. They have to accept today's Afghanistan. They have to respect what the people of Afghanistan want. If they couldn't get the support of the people of Afghanistan, they will never receive the uh, recognition by the international community. If the international community give that recognition, we will not allow. And if I be alive, I will not allow the international community to give such a recognition to those groups, which they don't respect the people of Afghanistan. Okay. Thank you very much. I guess with this, uh, unfortunately, we have to conclude the uh, conversation. Uh, hopefully, when we come back uh, to this topic next time, there will be some hope uh, to hold for. Uh, with this, thank you. Thank Thank you very much, Mari Akrami, women's rights defender, Ali Latifi, Al Jazeera's online correspondent for Afghanistan, Malali Bashir, senior correspondent with Afghan Service of Radio, Radio Liberty, locally known as Radio Azadi. Thank you very much, colleagues. And this is from me, Mohammed Tahir, Radio Free Radio Liberty's media manager and host of the Afpac File, the joint podcast series of Radio Free Radio Liberty and the Wilson Center. Please join us in two weeks. Until then, bye bye.